You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Well, welcome to the Vineyard. My name's Rick Francis. I've been here 13 plus years. This is our Valentine Sunday. Uh, after, after the service, we have our, our church dinner. So if you came unprepared, just come and, and just get blessed. And uh, we, we believe in the multiplying of the fishes and the loaves. <laughs> but uh, the cooks here are wonderful cooks, and I'm sure we got plenty of food. No problem. So you're all invited. We've been going through Acts. And as we get to today's passage <clears throat> about Barnabas and, and, and Paul, I, I want to go to uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians to kind of just set the backdrop for this. Um, Philippians is a, a precious book. It's my very, very, very first sermon when I was 14 years old that I preached was out of Philippians chapter 3. So I always love it when the Holy Spirit kind of takes me back to Philippians 3. And I want to, to begin looking at uh, verse 8. Because <clears throat> sometimes in the body of Christ, we get this misunderstanding, thinking that when we come to Jesus, everything is just peachy-dory. That uh, life is happily ever after, and there's no difficulties. But listen to what, listen to what Paul has to say. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I may have Christ and become one with him. I no longer count my own goodness or my ability to obey God's law, but I trust Christ to save me. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. As a result, I can really know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I can learn what it means to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that somehow I may experience the resurrection from the dead. That's the New Living Translation. Many of us grew up on another translation, which says, and to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. <clears throat> you know, there's, that's one of the things that you probably don't have on your refrigerator. Lord, today I would really like to suffer with you. Uh, could you bring a good, difficult circumstance in my life so that I can suffer a little for Jesus? Usually when I think suffering for Jesus, I'm thinking uh, a, a trip to Florida, in the wintertime, uh, heading to the spa, suffer for Jesus in the, in the hot tub, something like, yeah, yeah. We, we do it kind of, but there is, there is a dynamic that uh, in this world, we will have trouble. But we can take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. We pick up in, uh, the, we're going to pick up the last couple of verses that I was working on last week, but we didn't finish. In verse 5 of chapter 14 of Acts. <clears throat> 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 that 
There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistrust or to mistreat and stone them. This is Barnabas and Paul. <clears throat> but they found out about it and fled to the Laconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the good news. Okay. Here we get a little paragraph that just kind of summarizes the, the persecution after the wonderful ministry that took place in Iconium. And then the, they became a divided city where they all first, when they heard the gospel, they were all buying into it. But then as the Jews got jealous because everybody was coming to hear about the good news, they started poisoning the crowd. But here we see just kind of a summary statement that, that the way in which they did ministry is that they, wherever they went, they proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus is the king. He's the son of God. And, and so they would go out and they would continue to, wherever they were, that's what they did. Their normal course of action is first they find the synagogue in the town or the village and they go into the synagogue uh, on the Sabbath, and they share the good news. So here they have, and we get a general, and then we get very specific. We get the general thing of what they do. They, they proclaim the gospel with the demonstrations of signs and wonders and healing and miracles and all of that. And then we focus in on one little geographic position known as Lystra. So they've been preaching They've been preaching, and now they're in Lystra. And it's like, wow, we go from this, this big panoramic scope down to this micro, and, and we zoom in. And while Paul is preaching the gospel, he focuses on one man. In Lystra there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him. Saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. At that the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bowls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes, rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he was not left without testimony. He has shown kindness 
by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came down from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul, dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is our belief, O oh Lord, that there is, there is so much contained in the reading of your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would let the ministry of the reading of the word capture our hearts and minister to us. Now give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us hearts to understand what you're saying to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. So we begin with the plot to mistreat, but they escape. They find out about it, and Barnabas and Paul take off. And they go out in the, in, the, in the area, and they do what they always do. They preach the gospel. They continue. It's not like they had this job description that says, on Sundays, I will preach the gospel, and the rest of the week, I'll do... No, no. They, they preached the gospel everywhere they went. Paul had the ability to make tents, and sometimes he would be working in his tent making trade so that he could provide for his needs. But he was always, always sharing the gospel. Sometimes I think we, we, we get everything compartmentalized in our life and we say, I'm at work right now, so I will not proclaim the gospel. And now I'm, I'm recreating, I will not proclaim the gospel. And now I'm being spiritual, I will proclaim the gospel. Oh, there's nobody here. Oh, nuts. Well, I'll go to church. Oh, there's a brother or sister I can encourage, you know. And, and we get everything compartmentalized. And with, with the early disciples, those that were following Jesus, it was just a way of life. It's just how they lived every, every day. And so here they are. They go to Lystra because they're escaping the persecution that's coming in Iconium. And as they get there, Paul's preaching the gospel. We don't get a whole lot within the context of, of this paragraph, <clears throat> but he's doing what he, we know he's doing. W- what's he doing? He's talking about Jesus. He's getting to the resurrection. He's showing how Jesus suffered and died. He's showing that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies and, and that he is the Messiah. And so as he's going through this declaration, he notices a man, and it's a man who's sitting I don't know if everybody else was standing. You know, right now I see quite a few men sitting. You really don't stand out to me. But if the Lord highlights one, it's amazing how that person highlights, even regardless of whether we're sitting or standing. And Paul's, Paul's preaching the gospel, and all of a sudden he sees a man. This man is described as crippled in the feet, that he <clears throat> was in that condition He'd been lame from birth. Wow. He's never walked, but he was listening to Paul. He's listening to Paul. Is that cool? Does this sound familiar? Chapter 3? 
Only this time it's Peter and John going to the temple, and there's the lame guy. The lame guy there from birth, never walked, 38 years, and they see him. He's crying out for alms, and we have that incredible miracle that just kind of revolutionizes what God is doing in the area. And people really take note. So we got a very, very similar thing. As Peter's preaching, he sees this guy, and what's he see? He sees that he has faith. Paul's proclaiming the gospel. He looks directly at the crippled man. He sees that he has faith to be healed. And he calls out to him, stand up on your feet. How does faith come? Oh, by hearing. Uh, by hearing what? By hearing the word of God. By hearing the gospel. And so while he's there and while he's hearing Paul proclaimed the gospel of Jesus. Faith is, is being stirred inside of him, and it's so such a, a manifestation on the guy that Paul can see it on that person. Have you ever seen faith like that in someone? Hmm. That's one of the things that, that you know we're going after. Lord, we want to see in the spirit. You know, we might have 20-20 with uh, our eyes and our glasses, uh, but we want to see in the Spirit. We want to see what you're doing, Father. If, if we're going to follow Jesus, then we want to follow Jesus the way he lived. And in John it says, Jesus only did what he saw his Father doing. He spoke what he heard his Father saying. And so we understand this dynamic of the Holy Spirit that gives us the enabling grace to see and to hear what the Father is doing and saying. And so, man, Paul's proclaiming the gospel, and he sees it. He sees it. Oh, I love that. Gets my juices going. So what's the response? Well, the crippled man jumps up and begins to walk. Now, we have a healing that takes place here. Healing is when, when you have something that's broken or something that doesn't work, something that has been attacked by a virus, an infection, something that was not functional that begins to function, and that's a healing. A miracle is when you have something that's just like impossible. It's the Red Sea that parts. That's a miracle. Not all healings are miracles, but all miracles are amazing. Amazing. We love miracles. Those are great. But I, I want to present to you the, the thought that this is a miracle. Why? The guy got up and he walked. He's never walked before in his life. If you go and you go to... Uh, <clears throat> Tess's physical therapy, and you're sent there because you messed up your legs, and so she's working with you, you usually don't walk the first day. You know, you, you, you've got to, to go through. This guy, instantly, his legs were healed, crippled in his feet. That's good news. We like it when the feet get healed. When the feet get healed, 
and boom, he's walking. Now that's a miracle. That's a miracle. He didn't have a physical therapist there with some extra supports and some parallel bars type of like apparatus that he can start learning how to get his muscles to coordinate and how do you get your feet when you never... You know, the, the infants don't just get up and start walking. Infants crawl. And when they start walking, they're falling. And uh, this, is, this is quite miraculous. I, I like this. Anybody like this miracle? Yeah. Come on, Jesus. Yeah. What happens when you see something that you've never seen before? Oh, my. The crowd goes nuts. The crowd is crazy. They don't know what's the proper godly response to seeing a miracle. They only have what they do. And when they see something that is incredible, they realize that this has got to be connected to God. This has got to be divine. This has got to have a, a connection to something other than... And so they, they, they start shouting... The gods have come down to us in human form, in the form of a man. And so they're, they're, they're chanting, they're going crazy. A lot of times I, I just want to say, oh, those silly pagans, they don't know. Well, none of us would have known either. We, would have, we wouldn't have been able to just say, oh, that was nice. What's for lunch? You know, it's like this caught everybody's attention. The wow factor was out of sight, and they were just blown away. And so they did what they knew to do. Their conclusion is God, the gods have come down, and since the temple of Zeus was just outside the city gates, they assumed that Barnabas, I think Barnabas must have looked really stately. He looked, to me, I, I think of Barnabas as, as kind of the statesman. He was always probably saying the right thing, looking the right. He, he, he didn't put his foot in his mouth, anything like that, not like Peter. And so he, he was there. So they, they assumed that Barnabas was Zeus. And because Paul talked all the time and proclaimed the gospel, he did most of the teaching that he was Hermes. He was the spokesperson. And so what did they want to do? They're so amazed and they're so honored that the gods had come to them in, in a manifest human way that they want to offer sacrifices. They get out the bowls, they bring out the wreaths, and they're going to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. Now, this is kind of a frenzy. This is kind of like uh, people gone absolutely, incredibly awestruck with wonder and amazement. And so, you know, the adrenaline's rushing, everything's going on. This is the, the best idea that they can come up with. And so they're doing the best that they can, the most religious thing they know to do. <clears throat> and Paul and Barnabas are going, oh, my stars. Can you imagine? What kind of emotional roller coaster could that have been? You know, they just finished their last little campaign in Iconium where they find out they, they're so loved and so embraced that they're going to, mistreat and stone them. They really appreciate my, their ministry, so, they're, so they leave. And now they're here, and, and the, the celebration of the gospel is so incredible 
that they assume that these guys are gods. And so they're revering them. They want to worship them. They want to honor them. They want to esteem them. They want to exalt them. And the way they want to do it is, is they want to sacrifice to them. Wow. It's interesting. Sometimes as a minister of the gospel, you can finish a service and you can go out and one person say, boy, that really stunk. You really were. And someone else says, man, that was so anointed. That was so good. And you got this thing. And so you got to learn the lesson of Paul and Barnabas. You never go with what the people say. You're playing to an audience of one. You're, you're doing what you do out of your relationship with God Almighty. And so when they're doing this, they come out, they rip their clothes, a sign of, hey, cut it out. <laughs> it, it's to really catch them. And, and it's like, I am just a man, flesh and blood. So, so Paul goes out and he does all this to try to get them to stop. And he makes all sorts of appeals to them. He says, you know, we're just guys. We brought you good news, yeah, and we want you to turn from <laughs> your worship of Zeus in this temple and realize that there's a real God that loves you. He's the creator. He's made everything that's there. So he starts with creation. I find that oftentimes uh, they tell me, some of my friends who are missionaries, when they go into a, an un, unreached people group, that you start with creation. You always start with creation, and that's how you gain foot. Especially in the Asian, in the Asian areas, you've got to start, if you want to get a common foundation, you start with creation. And from creation, as he, as he set out, God the Creator... You know, he, he takes care of you. He gives you food. He gives you rain. He gives you crops. You know, he's a provider. He's a good God who loves you and provides for you, even though you've been doing your own thing. You haven't even been aware of how much he loves you. You don't even have a relationship with him, but you've had the benefits of his kindness and his goodness. You know, in theology classes, we call this general revelation. It's there for everyone. doesn't matter if you've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've seen in creation. You've seen in the stars. You've seen in the heavens. You've seen on earth. You've seen the wonder of creation that speaks to the majesty and the goodness of God. And so all are without excuse but we'll be, we'll be judged someday based on what we've done with the revelation that has come to us. For those who have had the, the blessing, the most blessedness of, of hearing about Jesus, there's going to be a different level of, uh, of judgment on us than on the one that has never heard the message about Jesus. But they're still without excuse because they see the goodness of God in all of creation. So Paul hits creation. He talks about the provision of God. He talks about how in the past you were able to do whatever you wanted, but now he is proclaiming to you the incredible goodness of his son by whom and through whom we can come into full established relationship with the living God. He provides for you because he wants to fill your heart 
with joy. That's God. He wants to provide and he wants to fill your heart with joy. Well, then how come I don't always have joy? How come I live in lack? How come sometimes there's not enough to go around? There's not plenty of food. What do I do with that? Well, it's in the context that we're still living in a fallen world. It's in the context that we have an adversary. It's in the context that there is one who used to (laughs) be in heaven leading the worship of the Lord that got jealous and wanted to be worshipped himself and has fallen, and he hates it when God gets glory. He hates it when his creation adores him as as their creator. And so he's constantly trying to bring as much distance as he possibly can. So here we have it, good news. He wants to fill our hearts with joy. He really does. And everything that goes off in your religious mindset that says God really can't be good because, look, he allows this to happen, you forgot the factor that there's an evil one, an adversary, who is always at work in the world to bring as much harm and as much destruction. Jesus said he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He still does that. And he wants to mess with our thinking to make God less good than what he truly is. Make it like God might give me a little joy once in a while, but he really doesn't want to be happy all the time because if I was happy all the time, I would be weird. It's like, no. He really wants you to have joy in your heart all the time. That's his norm. And we will know that as we get to know him. So there's, they were barely successful in stopping the sacrifice. And, uh, and then I, I believe there's quite a bit of time that transpires between that and the next verse. And when, when you're reading the account, it looks like boom, boom. But oftentimes, you know, they stay and they're discipling and they're growing. And it takes a while because the Iconian Jews didn't know where they actually went. But when they found out that they were up at Lystra... Then they start going up the Lystra, and when they get there, they start doing what they were doing down in Iconium. They start to pollute and poison and turn the people against the message. The Jews are jealous of this incredible message that the Messiah has come. To me, that's just crazy. Just absolutely crazy. They've longed for the Messiah. 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 Messiah comes. They reject the Messiah. They reject the Messiah. And then they reject the message of the Messiah. And so they go up, and sure enough, they poison the people. They turn against them. Obviously, not all the people... There are converts, there are disciples that are following Jesus because in a, before the chapter's over, they're, they're coming back through town and they're revisiting and they're appointing elders in all the churches and they're doing the, the work that God has called them to. But here, 
They're successful in getting the Jews, uh, they win the crowd, and they stone Paul. Ouch. That I may share in the fellowship of his sufferings. The disciples never greater than his master. So what they've done to me, they will do to you. Jesus told the twelve. I think it still goes today. So they don't want his dead body stinking up the city, so they take him outside the gates and drop him off. And the disciples gather. I don't know about you guys, but this is kind of a low moment in, in the life of, of the kingdom in, in Lystra. And as the disciples gather around the body of Jesus, it doesn't say what they did. They just says he gathered around and he got up. They thought he was dead. Everybody thought he was dead. They gathered around and he got up. If I was Paul and Barnabas, soon as I got new converts to come to Jesus, the first thing I would teach them is about the full authority of Jesus. As he told his disciples to go and, and heal the sick, proclaim the good news to the poor, uh, uh, cast out demons, I'd go with Matthew and raise the dead. First thing I'd teach my disciples, especially if I'm on this kind of mission like Paul and Barnabas, I would teach them, how do you raise the dead? <laughs> that would be our first small group meeting. This is, if, if they stone me, here's what you do. Come and gather around me and, and agree in prayer and come in agreement and, and command life to come back and whatever the steps are, do it. To me, it's like, oh, this is discipleship one-on-one, 101. What do we do? We better learn how to raise the apostle once he gets stoned because odds are he's going to get stoned. Yeah. So if it happens to me, be there, gather around me, raise me up in Jesus' name. Okay. So he, he gets up, he goes back into the city. Last time they heard that there was a plan to mistreat them and they left. This time they've been stoned and they get up and they go back into the village. They go right back into Lystra. And the next day they leave for Derby. Amazing. The courage, the awareness. Uh, I don't know how you see this, but I think Paul was bearing in his body the marks of following Jesus. He probably had a hematoma on his head. He probably had bruises on his body. He may have had broken bones. Who knows what happens when you get stoned? It doesn't sound like a happy time. But he got up and he went back. And they don't tell us. They don't even major on that. They don't even focus. Well, it took me two weeks before the bruises went down took me a month or two before I could do this. Or No, it just, it just lets us know. And they went about their way. And so they go to Derby. 
They go to the next place. And the crazy thing, is, as we'll see in, in, in the coming weeks, is that after they do all this, they go back to all the places where they proclaim the gospel, where they saw supernatural signs and wonders, healings, amazement, and also where they were stoned, where they were mistreated, where they were persecuted. It never stops. Nothing will ever stop the gospel. Nothing. Nazi Germany tried it, didn't work. It's always, it always will go forth. And it's amazing under persecution what happens to the gospel. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just come and present ourselves to you. We've heard so much from your holy word. Would you individually apply it to each one of our lives, our hearts? Lord, I pray that we would have eyes to see when there's faith to be healed. I pray, Lord, that you give us eyes to see in the spirit realm so that we would see what the Father's doing. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us supernatural hearing that we can hear what the Lord is saying, what the Father's saying, so that we can be partners, that we can continue the incredible work of being a follower of Jesus. Lord Jesus, we give you our supreme affection. We pray that you would keep us in the very palm of your hand that inside your heart we would know the love that would give us the ability to endure whatever the fickleness of the crowd would do. That we'd have wisdom to know how to navigate human worship. That we would have the grace to endure the sufferings, realizing that you suffered and you left us an example that we should follow. And so we don't want to revile. We don't want to return evil for evil. We want to learn how you endured all things. So I pray, Father, that there would be a grace released upon us as your sons and daughters, as disciples of Jesus, that we would respond from a heart of love, that we would know how to maintain full connection to your presence even in the most difficult of circumstances. I pray your peace to rest upon each one in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. If you have need today, we'd love to pray with you. A lot of times I like to go after the things that's in the, in the morning text, which would be feet. Feet. Anybody with feet issues that need to be touched, need to be healed, we'd love to pray. We believe that the authority of Jesus is here and we have been commissioned to heal the sick. Mm. If you don't know Jesus, today would be a great day to come to know him. Feel free to come talk with me or another. Uh, 
Chuck, Linda, Rick, Deb, Dave, Tess, Ken, Gloria, every, everybody else. <laughs> if there's somebody here and you don't know them, they probably know Jesus. Um, feel free. We want to minister and to honor because you have honored the Lord by coming today. I know when, when the weather report came out, I thought, oh, Jesus is up to something today. Because when, when, the, when, when things are difficult and we persevere and we get here, he's wanting to do something, something very, very special. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.